0: All right, well, um, you know, I have to admit, at first this week, when I realized um, in our Bible reading, we're reading through the Bible together this year, and then on Sundays, we're, we're preaching through the Bible, um, trying to get a sense of not only the specific individual stories that are unfolding in the Scripture, but so that we could see the big picture of how God's Word is telling one large story about the the brokenness of this world and of humanity and our great need for a savior, for redemption. And the fact that we have a God who loves us and he is redeeming us. And so we're going through that entire story. And so this week we were in the second half of the book of Jeremiah and then we moved in to the book of Lamentations. And I gotta tell you, I don't need any reminders these days to be a little sad. And so... My first instinct was, oh, great, I got to teach through Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and the book of Lamentations. But, you know, God's not surprised by the season that we're in, and and I think it's actually important that we talk today about the subject of lament. Um, In fact, I think for a lot of the church, especially the American church, we've almost adopted this mentality like it's wrong to ever be sad or disappointed, like it's somehow a lack of faith. And I actually believe if, if we learn to lament rightly, if we, if we learn that there are seasons of mourning, there are times where we need to find comfort, that even in our tears, even in our acknowledgement that things are broken and I'm hurting, that there's, there's faith in that too. I think we've misrepresented faith sometimes, and instead we're really presenting a form of denial. We represent faith as somehow ignoring what's happening around us. I actually think the most powerful form of faith is being really honest about what's happening around me and choosing to trust God anyways. And so we're going to talk this morning about lament. Um, We will be in the book of Jeremiah a little bit, but mostly we're going to spend time in the book of Lamentations today. So let me set the scene for this. Um, Babylon has conquered Jerusalem, and this was not a quick victory. We need to understand the context of this to then fully grasp the weight of what Jeremiah is verbalizing. Um, I believe the prophet Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations There's certain books of the Bible that people are a little less certain about, who wrote it, who didn't, Um, but throughout throughout Israel's history, they have believed that Jeremiah wrote this book, Um, and in fact, the Septuagint and some other versions of the Bible, some older historical documents that we have, they add a line or two at the start of the book. You won't see it in your scripture this morning necessarily, but they just add a line saying, This is the prophet Jeremiah after Jerusalem has fallen, observing the city and voicing his lament. And so what's happened is Jerusalem wasn't conquered in a day. They were besieged for over two years. I would encourage you at some point to just let that settle in on you what that must have been like. I mean, just just imagine the little taste of being out of sorts that things have been for us over the last few months. Remember back to when we were in like the throes of the stay-at-home order and, you know, we were barely even going to the grocery store. And now imagine over two years of being surrounded and besieged by an enemy. And, and I want to be careful because of young ears this morning, but things were horrible. People were starving and desperate and resorted to tragic things in order to try to survive. So it was devastating even before Jerusalem had been conquered, just the siege itself. And at the, the end of this period of time, they go into captivity and the city just gets stripped of all its glory. Even the temple, even God's, God's house gets picked apart. I mean, we have this beautiful description of all the time and the expense that Solomon put into decorating God's house to highlight his glory and honor him, and it was stripped bare. And so all of the wealth, all of the possessions, all of the glory of Jerusalem gets stripped. Not only are their earthly possessions taken, but most of the people are taken into captivity. In fact, the few that remain were considered to be the poorest of the poor. And so they now remain in and around the outskirts of this, this rubble, this broken city. And so after years of experiencing this, here's the prophet Jeremiah. And listen, he knew it was coming. He told them it would come. He warned them. He asked them, guys, would we repent and turn to God and, and seek help from him? Would we acknowledge how far we've fallen? Judgment is coming, and it's going to come at the hand of the Babylonians. And, and it does. It shows up. And so Jeremiah's not surprised. But it doesn't matter that he was aware of the fact that difficulty was coming. He lived it. And he sees it with his own eyes. And he begins to put to voice this lament. And so I just, I want to read the first few verses of of the book of Lamentations to kind of set the scene here. This is Lamentations chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. How lonely sits the city that was full of people wish I could do a, a deeper dive right now into this, but just briefly I'll say that first opening word, how. If we, got, if we got into the actual Hebrew, like the root of that word, it's like a cry of despair. Oh, how could this be? In fact, in, in the Jewish scripture, that first word is the title of the book. It's just this desperate cry. How could we be in this position? How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great in the night, or sorry, I skipped the line. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate Her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Any of us that have experienced deep loss, any of us that have experienced being alone, out of place, feeling like things have been stripped away, this, this taps into all of the various forms of suffering that we experience in this life. And so Jeremiah just pours out this lament. So I want to pray for us as we prepare to really dive into this together this morning. And I just want to encourage you today. Would you just open up your heart to whatever it is the Lord wants to say to you? More than what I might say or speak this morning, I'm hoping what he wants you to hear will come through. Maybe, maybe you need permission to be able to mourn. Maybe it's something you've held back and you haven't been open to. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're saying, Jake, bro, I'm familiar with mourning. I don't, I don't need an encouragement to do that. I'm, I'm there. I pray, too, that we would find some hope today because thanks be to God. That even when we mourn, we don't have to mourn like those who have no hope. God is for us. And so let's pray and invite the Lord to speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, would you, would you help us to discover the way that you invite us into lament? God, we're, we're aware as believers of the, the glorious good news of the gospel God, that our own personal lives can be saved and redeemed. God, that you are in the process of redeeming the earth. God, that that the end of the story is eternal victory and joy and celebration. And so, Lord, we don't deny that truth. We're, We're grateful for it today. But, God, the reality is we live in the midst of a broken world. We live in the midst of hurting and broken people. We are those people. God, we struggle with our own sin and our own brokenness. God, we deal with the fallout from the brokenness and sins of others. God, whether it's individual people in our lives who have hurt us deeply, or God, if it's just the the brokenness of the systems of this world that let us down that harm and hurt and destroy. Jesus, would you take us by the hand today? Would you invite us into your presence where we can mourn, we can lament, we can find hope, we can find healing? God, would you do that work in our hearts? Would you do that work in our city? Lord, we're desperate for your presence today. Call us to yourself. Open your word to us. Open your heart to us. May we have ears to hear. May we have minds to understand, hearts ready to receive. And God, may we live out what you call us to today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you want to turn to Lamentations chapter 3, that's going to kind of be our anchor point this morning. We will look at some other passages, but that will be our anchor point. Um, The first 16 verses of this chapter, they describe the trouble that has come upon um, Jeremiah. There's kind of this one specific voice speaking. Um, Many relate this voice as well. To, to capturing the heart of Jesus. There's several Old Testament passages that, that, ref, that seem to reflect in advance Jesus himself, the suffering servant. That happens in the book of Isaiah as well and many scholars believe this kind of echoes some, some of what Jesus is gonna come do for us on our behalf. He takes on our suffering. Remember the scripture says that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But the first 16 verses here they just describe how Jeremiah is feeling. They they echo how Jerusalem is feeling and talk about the trouble that has come upon them. The feeling of both being punished and abandoned by God. Because that's part of the reality. God has allowed this to happen. In fact, he warned them that this was coming. And so they've experienced that sense of being punished by God. They they are feeling abandoned by him. And so, as Jeremiah describes all of this, it culminates in these words. I want to read verses 17 and 18, and then we'll skip all the way down to 48 because they just kind of capture this lament that he begins to verbalize. Verse 17 My soul is bereft of peace, I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, My endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. He says, man, I've got nothing left. I can't muster up happiness anymore. It's gone. I'm looking for peace. It's not there. I've tried to endure. I'm just, I'm worn out. Remember, this is at the end of this long siege. He's just verbalizing, we're just done. We're exhausted. We're worn down. We just don't have anymore. And it feels like all hope is gone. I've lost my ability to hope in the Lord. Verse 48, my eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. Now now listen, why... (laughs) Why are we spending so much time on just these hard, sad verses? Like, was my goal to just make everybody feel really crummy this morning? Is that why we're doing this? Listen, I want you to hear something. This is the prophet Jeremiah talking. This is a guy who faithfully walks with the Lord, has declared truth. This is the guy who predicted this was coming. He said, guys, there's a day coming when this very thing is going to happen. Jeremiah's not surprised about the hard season that they're in. Not only that, in the midst of Jeremiah's warnings, he also regularly offered hope. He said, listen, when we go into captivity, it's not the end of the story. God's going to redeem our land. We're going to return. This, this suffering has an end date. God is going to redeem. God is going to restore. So, so Jeremiah knows all of this. He's not surprised by what happens, and yet when he's in the moment of sorrow, he just gets real and says, this is hard. This is hard, and I'm feeling hopeless, and I'm running out of strength and energy, and, and God, you just don't even seem to be present. Where are you? Friends, part of our lives as believers is recognizing that there are going to be moments like this. There are gonna be moments where all hope seems lost. And I hope that we can find some of the same freedom that Jeremiah has. That if we read through the Psalms, we see that David and others have. Where we can be real about what we're going through. I can come honestly before the Lord and say, God, this is where I am. Yes, I believe in heaven. Yes, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I'm just telling you, right here, right now, I'm worn out. Jesus, I know that you told me some of the same things Jeremiah told them. You told me that it was going to get difficult. You told me that trouble was coming. And you encouraged me. You said, take heart, I've overcome the world. God, I know all that truth, but Lord, I'm in it. Right here, right now, I'm in it and I'm exhausted, and I'm feeling hopeless. Friends, God is is big enough for us to get real with him like that. We can bring the reality of of how we're feeling, what we're going through to him. In fact, he invites us to do that. We come to him. This this same thing kind of picks up in Jeremiah chapter 8. Verse 18 and then 20 and 21. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. D- do you hear just that sense of like how much longer? I thought it would have been better by now. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. So Jeremiah's saying, I'm not just wounded because of what I'm going through, I'm broken seeing what others are going through. Seeing my brothers and sisters and their struggle. My heart's broken for them. I mourn and dismay has taken hold on me. Friends, no matter how long we have walked with Jesus, there is room to mourn. There are times of despair. We, We have to have an environment in the church where as brothers and sisters we can link arms and it can be a safe place where somebody can verbalize some doubts, some questions, some struggles. You know, we, we bag on doubting Thomas for doubting. But as a disciple of Jesus gathered with his brothers, he had the freedom to say, man, I'm struggling with this. I got to see something to show me this is real. And when Jesus appears in the room, he doesn't shame him. He says, here, look, see, it's me. There's the scars. There's the wound in my side. He encourages him to believe. Jesus looks ahead to those who will believe without seeing. He encourages faith. He inspires faith. But there's freedom to struggle. Listen, guys, I think that all too often in the church, we have been so quick when someone is struggling, when someone is hurting and mourning, we're just so quick to like throw these verses at people like it's helpful in some way. And we use verses like all things work together for good like a weapon. All things do work together for good. And I want to be encouraged by that truth. But we are told in the scripture that it is right to mourn with those who mourn. We've got to have the freedom ourselves when we're struggling to do that. And we have to be able to do what Jeremiah does where he sees the struggle and the hurt of a brother or a sister and he comes alongside and he says, their mourning has become my mourning. I've taken that on. In a world of brokenness, friends, it, it can be easy to try to protect ourselves from that reality by becoming calloused. It, it hurts my heart how often I see the church in our country communicate such a a hardened disconnected heart towards those who are hurting. In fact, how often we get angry and defensive towards people who don't know Jesus. What standard standard am I holding them to? They're lost. They don't have the hope of Jesus. I've got to be able to meet people where they're at. And say, I've experienced brokenness. I've experienced suffering. I still do. And so I come alongside and mourn. The scripture calls us to this. Jeremiah is practicing it. And listen, Jesus did this himself. Jesus, if there was ever a person that walked this earth, Jesus fully God and fully man, he understood the fullness of who God was, what he had planned He was willing to to face the suffering of the cross for the joy that was set before him. Jesus understood ultimate redemption. He was here to provide it. But Jesus mourned. Jesus was hurting when John the Baptist was killed. He was looking to get away to a desolate place with his disciples. They were worn down and weary from work and they were hurting because a close friend had died you read the passage about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and tell me Jesus didn't know about tears and suffering. Well, but he knew he was gonna rise again from the dead. Yeah, but he was walking that road to Calvary. And that's a real road. And that was a real death that he suffered. And so he shows up one day to a funeral knowing full well that he was the resurrection and the life. In fact, he had already talked to one of the sisters who had lost her brother Lazarus and reminded her of that truth. I am the resurrection and the life. And after saying those words, he walks a little further and he comes across Martha's sister, Mary. And in John 11, verse 32, it says, They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. He knew what he was about to do. But he was being present in that moment with those people. And he met them right where they were. And he said, your mourning has become my mourning. Your weeping has become my weeping. He looked at Mary, who he loved, and he wept with her because that was real pain that she was experiencing. Jesus climbs right into the midst of our pain and he mourns with us. It's right that we should be aware of the pain of others. It's right that we can acknowledge our own pain and our own struggle. We don't have to pull back and protect ourselves. We don't have to hide ourselves from the Lord. We don't have to put on a good face and fake it till we make it. We should be able to get real with God and get real with others and link arms and say, I'm right here in the midst of it with you. Let's mourn. Let's verbalize our fear, our frustration, our anxiety. Let's acknowledge that hope seems lost. Let's link arms and do it together. And know that that's who our Jesus is. He does the same thing. And so we can verbalize what hurts. We can verbalize what's been lost. There is time for lament. But listen, friends, it's, it's time for us to get to point number two. There is a time to mourn and lament. But we can lament in hope. We can lament in hope. Lamentations chapter 3 still, back to verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. How often we just grab that verse completely out of context, slap it on some kind of magnet, put it on our fridge, share it on wherever, social media completely out of context, and go, look at this just uplifting, hopeful, fine strength verse. It's like the only encouraging verse planted in the midst of this great lamentation. Three verses before, whatever it is, Jeremiah's saying, I have no hope. If you've ever really grieved a loss, if you've ever sat with someone else who grieves a loss, you get that roller coaster. You get it. And this is the power of of being able to mourn together is we we can ride those waves of emotion that just say, God, I'm in utter despair. Where are you? But when we link arms together, when we remember that Jesus is right there with us in our mourning, we can be reminded of the hope of the reality of God's ever-present love for us. And so in despair, in trouble, in chaos, in the midst of those waves of emotions, we can find the gospel in context. You know, one of the accusations against Christianity is that the gospel is just a coping mechanism. Like it's just some some fake phony thing to make me feel good in trouble. No, the gospel says that trouble's real, I'm just right there with you in it. And I'm working hope in the midst of it. And I'm redeeming you in the process. And so we don't have to cope with life or ignore our problems. The gospel is real right in the midst of it. That's what it's for. Jesus offers hope and healing in the midst of the troubles of this life. See friends, I have to encourage you. We've gotta have permission to mourn and to lament but scriptural mourning, scriptural lamentation is not wallowing, it's not wallowing, we don't live there, I don't build a home there and say that's where I reside now, I can pitch my tent there for a little bit, I can say God this is where I'm at in my journey, Lord I invite you into this place with me, Lord, I'm looking around for other brothers and sisters who can link arms with me while we're here. Now, Lord, thank you that as I mourn this moment, I mourn this season, I lament the reality of this struggle. God, in hope, would you lift me? God, in hope, would you remind me of the truth of who you are, that you're my God, that you're my Savior, that not only can you relate because you've walked these roads, but that you heal and redeem. There's this, this beautiful picture that takes place during the siege. I would actually encourage you to go back and read through Jeremiah chapter 32. I just wanna give you a glimpse of this. In the middle of the siege, here's Jeremiah, like he's seeing the reality now of everything he's been telling them was coming for a long time. And we pick this up, I just wanna read a couple of verses to give you a sense of this. Jeremiah 32 verse two, and then verses six through eight. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and if that wasn't bad enough, Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. I don't know that I can fully imagine how bad it is to live in a city that's besieged, but I'm guessing it's 10 times worse to be in the jail cell of the city that's besieged. And that's the position Jeremiah finds himself, and while in that jail cell, experiencing the weight of everything that's happening, and he knows we're not going to win this fight, he knows we're going into captivity, in the middle of that place, verse 6 says, then Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, buy me a field That is at Anathoth. For the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Verse eight. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard. He's in jail and his cousin shows up and says, hey, you want to buy my field? (laughs) That was my version of what comes next. He comes to him and he says, In accordance with the word of the Lord, he said to me, "Buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. And then Jeremiah says, Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Now, this, this was a small town about three miles north of Jerusalem. It's Jeremiah's hometown, that little place of Anathoth. And so... He's in jail during a siege when all of the land is about to belong to Babylon, and God said, your cousin's gonna show up and ask you to buy his land. Now, you, you could go back and take a look at the book of Ruth or some of the time that we spent in like Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and that, and that range of teaching earlier in the year. We talked about this idea of redeeming, redeeming the land. And so Jeremiah was a close relative And his cousin is saying, I can't pay the bills, and I'm about to lose my land. Will you buy it from me? Keep it in the family. And so in the midst of a siege, in the midst of being imprisoned, God says, Jeremiah, I want you to buy that piece of property. And so Jeremiah does it, and he struggles through this chapter with, God, why are you having me do this? Why am I buying this land in the middle of this siege? What's going on here? Jeremiah 32:14 and 15 explains why. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel that they may last for a long time. So hold on to this contract, sealed away, so it can last a long time. Why? For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. In the midst of a siege, Jeremiah bought a piece of property because it was a reminder that this wasn't gonna last forever. It was a reminder that God was gonna return to his people all that had been lost, all that had been stolen. This wasn't pointless. This wasn't just a struggle or suffering with no explanation of why. God says, I'm doing something in this and I'm giving you a glimpse of hope in the midst of this siege. Hold on to this because you will return to the land and you will buy back your property. I will redeem you. And so there's hope in the suffering. I want you to think about this. We were talking about Lazarus a few minutes ago. After Jesus finishes mourning, what's he do in the story? He calls forth, right? Lazarus, come forth. I was reading some commentary around that this week, and a couple of theologians say, you know, a lot of people believe that the reason he called Lazarus by name is if he had just said, come forth, everybody in that graveyard would have come up. (laughs) I love that. But he calls Lazarus forth. Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man rises. The dead man rises. This is amazing. He raises Lazarus from the dead. He brings forth resurrection life. So since he raised Lazarus from the dead, we've all met him, right? You know him. You've met him. He's this famous guy that's still alive because Jesus raised him from the dead. When, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the, the dead, Lazarus was still going to turn around and, and die at some point in the future. Like that, that was coming. The resurrection of Lazarus was like Jeremiah buying the field. It's a glimpse of hope. It's a reminder of the larger reality in the midst of my present reality. Friends, that's what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants to remind us of the larger reality of his redemption plan when we are living in the midst of this reality. And so he calls Lazarus forth. He raises him from the dead. Can you imagine being present for that? Like, what? I'm at a funeral and this guy's alive now. I wonder how different Lazarus's second funeral was from the first. Have you ever thought about that? I wonder how different that was. I bet that in the midst of their mourning, there was a little more hope than they'd had the first time around. Because they'd seen God's redemptive work. They'd seen the power of Jesus who's the resurrection and the life. They've seen it they caught a glimpse of hope. And so when in the future they bury Lazarus one day, they bury him in hope of eternity. That Jesus, the risen Savior, we will all be risen. He's redeeming the whole world. And see, this is what Jesus does. When we're mourning and we look to him and he comes near and he comes present, friends, if we'll watch for it, he'll give us a taste of hope. He may remind us with with something in the scripture that just comes alive in our hearts and it it brings encouragement. There might be some specific, tangible thing that he does in my life where it's just like, yes, you're with me, I'm not alone, thank you, Lord. You lifted me out of the pit. But he'll come along and he'll do these things that give us a glimpse and a reminder of ultimate redemption and our future hope. And so yes, we can lament, but we can lament in hope. Because in all the struggle and all the suffering, Jesus is king. He is the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say, I prevent death. He says, I heal it. Even that I can fix. I'm the resurrection and the life. So friends, this leads us to to our last point this morning. Not only are there times. Oh, we lose. There we go we're back. (laughs) Not only are there times to lament and mourn, not only can we mourn and hope, but friends, there are times when our godly lament is meant to lead us to repentance and to a return. Now, I want to say up front, this doesn't mean that every bad thing that happens is some form of punishment And every time something bad happens in my life, I need to read into it, I must have done something wrong to deserve this. I do not mean that. In this specific story and context, the people were warned for years, you need to repent, you need to turn to the Lord. We know that from this specific context. But I do wanna encourage you, I I don't believe that we're meant to look at suffering as some form of, punishment and shame, and I deserve this. But I do believe in our suffering that we are meant to look to the Lord, that we are meant to turn our eyes towards him. And sometimes that return, that turning to him in the morning is simply just to see that he's there and he loves us and he comforts. But there are times when we will turn to him in the midst of pain and difficulty And he loves us enough to say, hey, I want to show you something. I want to show you something that I want to fix. I want to address. I want to heal. Grief can and will come from God. But in his compassion and steadfast love, he will redeem even our grief, even the things he allows us to go through. Check this out. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 31 and 32. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Skipping down to verse 39. Why should a living man complain, a man about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. Friends, when, when pain shows up, when suffering shows up, it provides an opportunity that both reveals our need and reveals our Savior. What the enemy would love to do, it's one of the things he specializes in, because remember, he's the father of lies. One of the things that he specializes in is manipulating pain in our lives to push us away from the Lord, to push us away. And unfortunately, the people of God sometimes help with that by pushing people away when they're struggling and in pain. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is that he will, even in our pain, use it to reveal to us who he is, his presence in our lives. And he will use pain to allow us to see our need. There's something he may want to reveal. There's something he may allow us to see for our benefit. As, As we move towards wrapping things up this morning, I think it's interesting that as Jeremiah sat weeping over the city of Jerusalem as it falls, Jesus did the same thing. Right before his triumphal entry, he comes into Jerusalem. He's facing the last week of his life. He's he's facing, facing death on the cross. He knows what's coming, and he stops outside the city when he's approaching Jerusalem, and he sees it, and he weeps over the city. Luke 19, 41 through 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Even some of the trouble that comes, it's it's meant to bring peace. The ultimate suffering was Christ on the cross. Through that suffering comes ultimate peace, ultimate redemption. The glory of the love of God is on full display through that. He says, man, I wish they had known, I wish they had seen, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Friends, it is easy to miss Jesus when he shows up. It's especially easy in pain and suffering and difficulty to miss the presence of God. But God's saying, Will you see? Will you recognize? I'm there, I'm present, and I want to redeem. And so Jesus mourns because they miss the visitation. And then he takes extreme action to get their attention. So not only does he mourn outside the city, He comes into the city and the very next two verses after he says, don't miss my visitation, are this. Did he go in and give one of his beautiful sermons of which there are many where he declared God's love and God's grace? Is that what he did? No, verse 45. He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer but you've made it a den of robbers. He used the opportunity to shake them, to wake them up. Hey, you are operating with business as usual, but I wanna get your attention to wake you up to some things that you need to be set free of. You're missing it, you're missing me, and you're harming each other. You're taking advantage of one another. You're misrepresenting the love of God. You're not seeing me present in your midst. And so he shakes them to wake them up. Friends, the sad reality is, all too often in our lives, it takes pain and suffering to wake us up a little bit, to shake us out of these these apathetic places we can get in. And God will use them to remind us of who he is and what he's up to and to invite us to return to him. It's not to shame us, it's not to harm us, but it is to draw us to himself for our good. And so that his love can be put on display for a world in need. I I wanna give you some homework. I mean, you don't have to turn in a piece of paper or anything next week. But I wanna give you some homework. I wanna encourage you to take some time. Jesus is quoting from Jeremiah when he says, you've turned this into a den of robbers. So I want to encourage you, turn to, go to Jeremiah chapter seven, just on your own, and read verses one through 11. And it describes what is happening amongst God's people and in his temple and his presence and the things that they're missing. It talks about ways that they are honoring him with their mouth, but their heart is not with him. It talks about how they, they, they think of themselves as his people that have it all together and yet it lists ways that they are not bringing justice in the world. You've forgotten the foreigner. You've forgotten the widow. You've neglected those in need. And it culminates in verse 11, which is what Jesus is quoting. You've taken this house and you've turned it into a den of robbers. You're missing the boat. And so I, I would encourage you guys Take some time of reflection this week and just ask, Lord, God, in the midst of this season I'm in, right here, right now, there's things that are hard, there's things that are difficult. God, I need your comfort and your presence, but Lord, is there anything that you're wanting to shake up in my life? Is there anything that you're wanting to wake me up to and set me free from? And so, Lord, would you, would you be a revealer? Lord, would you reveal my need? Lord, would you reveal your love and your presence? And then we can do this. In closing, Lamentations 3, verses 55 through 58. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. Even in struggle, even in hurt, even in pain, we can lament and mourn. We can find hope. We can turn to the Lord and allow him to reveal things that maybe need to be shaken up a little bit. And we will find hope that God is not against us, he's for us. Our cry of mourning and lament, he has taken up our cause and he is redeeming our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our ever-present hope. God, that you love us. Lord, I thank you that you are not calling us to be people who fake it. You're not calling us to just have it all together all the time. Lord, that you invite us to come as we are. Lord, that we can bring our doubts, our fears, our struggle. God, we can, we can bring to you, God, even our tears. Lord, we thank you that you don't shame us for that. In fact, you actually call us to be people who are approachable like that. God, you call us to mourn with others who mourn. Lord, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to be a safe place for other people? Lord, would you help us to to know that we can trust you and come to you in our mourning, in our struggle? And that while we're in your presence, Lord, we will not only be comforted, God, you will remind us of the hope that we have in you, the redemption that you are working in our lives. Lord, I also pray that we would be open, God, when life is painful, when it's difficult. God, that we wouldn't build our house there. We wouldn't live in mourning. But God, we would look to you and let it be a revealer of how we might need to grow. Of things you wanna set us free of. God, thank you that you take up our cause and you redeem our lives. May we experience that in our own hearts and lives. And Jesus, may we be a carrier of that to a world in need. It's in your name we pray. Amen.